Good morning. Well, uh, let's pray. Let's uh, open up our palms. And I don't know what, uh, if the headache of rain and all that stuff, it was a struggle to get here. Let's release that. Let's ask God this morning uh, to, to move us from fan to follower. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be uh, moving not only in us but around us. And Father, I pray that we all take a step toward being more more in love with you, more committed to being those followers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Trish and I, I don't know, there's a mystery that I want to ask God in heaven um, about this, because Trish and I have been doing home improvements. Anybody doing home improvements at all right now? Spring is coming or here. And, and what's so interesting is you could be in great shape, but then you start like you paint a room. Anybody feel this? And you feel like you, you're 100 years old. It's like, I'm, my body, I, why is it so sore? Um, so we painted a bunch of rooms and did that, and I'm now on Advil and just thankful for that heavenly gift. But exercising different muscles, right, starts to expose some maybe that we haven't used in a long time. And traditionally, in this part of our service, music would be a large part, but we felt like, especially with what we're going to talk about this morning, it might be good for us to exercise a different muscle. One that from Genesis to Revelation is talked about as a great and maybe the most intimate expression of worship, and that is prayer. And and how do we pray? And how do we pray together? And, and I would a wager to say, how many of you in this room long to have a, a, a more prayerful life? You, you want more prayer in your life. So it's, it's the need is there, the desire is there. So how do we do that? And this morning, we're going to do that by really inviting three different people up that will share some stories, that will give us some context, and then I'm going to have you circle up talk for a minute, and then and pray very quickly. So this morning, someone who loves the stage, she's um, never up here, and that tells you I'm just joking because she can't stand being up here, but I think she loves sharing about what God's doing with her, and she's our office administrator and really assistant of mine, but uh, Tracy Lane, welcome up, Tracy Lane. So Tracy, you want to tell them how much you love doing this? Oh my gosh. Active obedience right here. <laughs> I'd rather be anywhere else but here. So here I am. Love the honesty, right? Just love the honesty. Um, so this week, Tracy had just returned, her and Jeanette and some other people, a, a group of Feed My Starving Children took some churches that are doing sponsorship like we're doing and took Tracy and a couple others down to Haiti to see really the other end of packing, right? So we pack up and seal the food, and they got to watch them cut open the packets and then feed um, some people down there. But we were profoundly impacted as elders, as staff, and as lead team when Tracy shared. Have you ever heard, like when someone shares um, a story about what's going on in their life, and you feel like that passage, it's like, take off your shoes, you're in, holy, you're, in a, you're in holy ground, you're in a space that God is doing something. And I, I don't mean to set up Tracy like now, the voice of God, and she's going to glow. Yeah, a lot of pressure. <laughs> there you go. 
Uh, but she shared some things I think where God worked in her or she just got to see that I think were really powerful. So about the world around her. And so Tracy, why don't you share a little bit about kind of what, how God impacted you down in Haiti? Okay, well, one person holds a very special place in my heart. It's a little girl that I met at a nutrition clinic and she's three years old and she looks like she's about one, maybe about that long. She was one who was very ill. Um, her feet were swollen, um, just very bloated. Her mom had brought her to the clinic in December and then pulled her out and um, apparently was feeling some pressure to bring her to a voodoo doctor. And um, she wasn't well. And um, just had the chance to pray over her and saw her in, in the little bed. We weren't able to pick her up, but um, she was just very quiet. And she was, she was very still. Um, so I just prayed over her. And um, not being able to pick her up, I would just stroke her cheek and she'd quiet down a little bit. But all the while I was just thinking, Lord, why is she here? Hmm. And really, why isn't she being healed? Um, and I think of the, the mom who probably has regrets, um, but I continue to pray for her. But my fear is that I'll forget her hmm. and the days will go by and I'll get comfortable with my life, and she'll just be, she'll just be a memory, mm. maybe at best. Mm. That's I know that's heavy, and that every time you share it, it hits me, just in the weight of that of of the pain and loss in the world. And you'd expressed uh, another just painful story. If you want to share that one, just what you experienced. Well, people who know me know that I'm a huge dog lover. So we met a man named Barrett, and he works for Sport Disciple. And the first day that we met him, um, before we went out to the, the grounds, he came on the bus and he said, I just want to know, I want you to know where, how my day started. And they have a family dog who they had put in a shed. Um, they were having some people come into their house because they were in the process of moving. And they closed the door and uh, he was attacked by bees, and their little their son could hear the dog whining and went in and rushed in to try to help him and tried to get all the the bees off and they weren't able to do that and, and the dog died. So he was there just to tell us that um, they had to um, I guess they burned it. There's they don't bury things there so. Um, when he was standing there on the bus, I was crying. And I was one for the dog, but really for him and his family, for the little boy. Hmm. And I just really felt God speaking to me because my first instinct was to turn away and to just not let him see me. And I really just felt God saying, you just do not turn away. You look him in the eye, 
and let him see the compassion you have for him. Because mm. it's so easy to just hide and to not feel. Yeah. So that was a big lesson. Thanks for sharing that. We're going to have um, you guys break up just with people you're with right now. And I think what you're saying, Tracy, which all of we could do is what's weighty uh, about the world right now? It could be Japan and the earthquakes. It could be the floods in Texas. It could be uh, just some of the stuff we see here. But I think what Tracy's saying, which just we felt, we're, we're not to turn away. Scripture says we're supposed to we're supposed to show compassion. And we may not be able to write checks and go rescue, but we're to, to, to carry the burden with others and the pain. And this is just a great part of that for us. And so would you break up into groups um, small enough that you can quickly share that and then pray together and then I'll close us with this time. Thank you, Trace. Make sure you're praying together, so I'm going to close this here in a minute. Would you just pray? So, Father, we are, we are burdened by the world, and we know that you have great love uh, for your creation and for people all around it. And God, we pray right now uh, for all the things that we've mentioned, that we're feeling weighty about the world around us. But God, would you not only help us show compassion, but will you bring compassion upon those people? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, in front of me, we have uh, someone who's been at the church uh, 
uh, Pat Ferraro, and uh, Pat's actually one of the, you'll see at the end of the service, one of the newly, uh, uh, new elder candidates, uh, shepherd elders, so we're excited for that, but him, but uh, Pat, we want to talk about, we've talked about the world around us, but now we want to talk about the world inside of us, and there's a whole world of what's going on in each of us in this room, and You've been a part of Transformation of the Heart for two years, uh, so it's just that's a nine-month discipleship process, really kind of unpacking a lot of your sin, a lot of the things that, that you have, that we, we allow to block our walk with God, and it's very powerful. Pat is now um, one of the leaders for that group, um, and so we just wanted to have you share a little bit about what's God doing in the world inside of you. Okay, well... First of all, I think it's two years because there's that much that has to get unpacked. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, and actually, um, even though I'm not an active participant, I am learning so much more about what has to get unpacked. And um, I guess what's going on inside of me is just a, a revelation, which really is just awesome. A revelation that... Um, there's the, the real Pat that God created, and then there's this other Pat that Pat created. And this other Pat is uh, got barriers put up and walls and, um, and uh, even just responses to things in my life that come out um, because of past pains and hurts and sin against me and sin that I committed. And um, I got to tell you, I, I didn't even know it. I didn't know that was going on, but I knew there's a barrier. There's a barrier between where I was in my walk with God and the walk that I wanted, and I just couldn't get there. And I was praying that God would help me get through that. And... Um, uh, God brought along uh, transformation of the heart to help me do that. It's a, a, a tool to help you just dig in. And, and as God revealed that stuff to me, I realized why I respond the way I respond. And it's, um, yeah, um, you know, in my past, I'm not going to get into that, but just to give you a taste, you know, growing up, um, starting school at the age of four, so um, very young, one to two years younger than everybody else. Uh, I became um, insecure about that and was bullied a lot through school. So those are things that caused me to respond in anger whenever mm. I felt put out or um, someone's... Anyway, even, even as an adult, you can perceive... Stuff right. that's not true. Right. And you perceive somebody's uh, talking to you as being, uh, they're picking on you. Yeah. And then I lash out or I get defensive. And, and uh, God's revealed that to me. And, and um, you know what? The cool thing is, is that the realization that God created this Pat that's an awesome guy. And I get, I get to unpack that. And um, I'm liking that guy. Because <laughs> mm. the guy that I created, that facade and that, that front, 
is uh, it's it's just fake. Yeah. And um, and you know what? I think if uh, people that know me would be willing to be honest, they tell me, Pat, we know that's all BS, and uh, and you're just putting on a show. Yeah. Um. So thank you for sharing that and being honest. I think there's a, there's a world in all of us, and I think Pat, uh, he, he said it well, in, in that we have a, a fake part of who we are that we present. We project something that we like others to, to look at, and then there's this real part of who we are. And uh, that, that's a, there's so much to unpack inside of us. But maybe my, my question is this morning as you gather, what's stopping you? Is it a sin that you need to talk about in the world inside of you this morning? Is it a fear? Is it, uh, is it really anxiousness about something that God's asking you to change? What is it? You may not even know. I mean, to your point, Pat, you may not even know what it is, but maybe you can sense, I'm just stuck. And so maybe that's what you confess uh, to your group and then pray together, would you? So gather together and talk a little about the world inside of you of what's stopping you from being who God's made you to be. You'll need to uh, close that up in prayer if you could, and then I'll pray over us if you just pray together. God, we are amazed at the world inside of us, how you've created us with personality and gifts and a story, and family, and friendships, and so much has gone on. But God, in that, uh, sin and the world have, have definitely blocked and slowed down that, that gift you've given us in ourselves. God, might you this morning identify in any of us something that we just need to get rid of. Not being on our own path, but getting on yours. 
And so, Father, we thank you. Thank you for Pat this morning sharing, being honest. In Jesus' name, amen. I will say, uh, Pat said BS, and it wasn't your pastor, but it was Pat. So, um, <laughs> just saying, he's very, he's very real and honest, and I love that about him. Um, hey, listen, we're uh, going to dismiss our kids, and so uh, we, we don't have music to do that. So, I tried to do elevator music, but it flopped. So, could you just clap the kids out and as they go to class? So if you haven't picked up this morning that we have yet to, to play any songs, we, we, we're trying to, to talk to you a little bit differently about what does it mean to be a worshiper of God. And one of the great ways that you see from the beginning of your Bible, Genesis all the way through Revelation, is that the, the people of God, they worship through their giving. Now, immediately you trigger in your mind a very Western and American perspective. Ah, it's business. Ah, it's church. Ah, all they want is my money. Let me, let me go way back so that you get the perspective of what's going on. You can't get away from the people of God being overwhelmed by what God provided for them to the point at which they started giving first back to God. Not because God needed their money, but because God said, you need to remember who gave it to you. That's why they call it tithe. It's, it's the first tenth, or they call it first fruits. It was the first crops that came up, the firstborn children they would dedicate to the Lord, anything that was first. And so we have this opportunity every week where if, if you don't stop and take a breath, and think about what God's given you, it could become rote tradition and it could become arm bending. May I tell you this morning that if you give under compulsion or feeling like you're being twisted and worked, you should not give. Not only does it not count for a gift from the heart, it, God actually hates it. And, and so we are not ashamed to say it is a great expression of our worship to say, God, you've overwhelmed me. You've overwhelmed me from what you've given me, and yet I give back as a symbol of I know who gave it to me, and I'm gonna be a steward of it, of whatever you've given me. Friends, that's the spirit at which we give a community. And, and I'll say there are many that give, but many need to begin to think about this as a, an expression of worship. So ushers, will you come, come out of hiding wherever you are? I never can find you. You're like secret agents. Uh, there they are. They're popping up. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to take our offering. Father in heaven, we're grateful as worshipers of you uh, to be blessed. I would wager to say, Father, none of us in this room are going to have to pray about lunch today because we know where it's going to come from. May we never forget where it really comes from. May we never lose sight of the world around us that has much less. God, might we be great stewards and generous givers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we're taking offering, uh, we're going to move into our kind of third phase of, of a prayer time. And I have a, 
uh, a new friend that uh, really he and his wife, I'm going to let him introduce his wife, uh, comes to us to Community Church, uh, and a familiar name. So I'm going to let you say your name and all that stuff because there's something to it that, that you could tell the story about you. Sure. Well, thank you, Troy. Um, my name is John Gillespie. Um, my wife is uh, Sarah Gillespie in what I would say real life, but um, she's uh, Sarah Thompson, um, who's a, a news anchor reporter at Channel 2. Um, I used to... It's your stage name, right? Yeah. Right. Well, okay. maiden name, but she wanted to there keep the go. maiden there name on there. All right. Um, and you used to? Yeah, I used to be a, a sports reporter. Um, about five years ago, I left uh, television. Um, I used to be at Channel 2 as well. And then you have this lineage of, of news, because news people kind of stay together, it seems like, but go ahead. Yeah, news is, is absolutely um, in our family. So um, a couple of pieces of, of background um, that I think is important to, to my story um, is... Um, um, my family, in my family, broadcasting is the family business. Yep. So my grandfather um, was the voice of the Milwaukee Braves when they were in town, was the voice of the Badger football team on TV in Milwaukee for about 30 and most, years. And most of you guys remember your grandfather? Earl, Earl Gillespie. Anybody remember Earl Gillespie? Yeah? <laughs> there you go. All the gray hairs just raised their hand. I just, I'm like, Tom, that was one of you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm and, one of them too, by the yeah. way. Gray hair. All right, go ahead. Um, and, and my dad um, followed in his footsteps um, and was a, a sportscaster down in Milwaukee, um, was in that business for about 20 years wow. and has had an outdoor show for about 25 years. So um, naturally, I wanted to be just like them. And so yeah. from age five until about five years ago, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to be a sports reporter in Milwaukee. Um, and the other piece of background that I just want to share in this is um, I've, since about that time, I, I have struggled with uh, severe anxiety and severe obsessive compulsive disorder. So the, the metric that therapists use to gauge how much OCD impacts a patient's um, really life is, is uh, called a Y-box scale, and it's from 1 to 40, 40 being the most impact. And mine, at the height of my condition, was a 34, which is near inpatient. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so um, the in, entire, from age 6 until 30, really, um, we're reading this Rick Warren book right now, and one of... Um, it, you know, it talks about the purpose-driven life. Well, the purpose that drove my life for many, many years was to get to Milwaukee, yeah. be a sports reporter in Milwaukee. Yeah, to be just like my dad, just like my grandfather. They didn't push me into it, but I wanted to be just like them, get to Milwaukee, get to Milwaukee. So when I started my career outside of college, um, all of a sudden the, the weight of the world fell on my shoulders. They didn't, my father and grandfather didn't put it there, but I just felt that, and my anxiety absolutely played into that. So any sort of small mistake that I would make, I, I felt like I was letting everybody down. Yeah. Um, and so as I progressed through, um, through my career in TV, um, the anxiety started to get worse. Sarah and I weren't on the same schedules, so we never saw each other. And it, it just the, the zeal for that world really started to fade. Um, the OCD started getting very difficult to manage. Right. And about nine years into that world, I, I, I just felt this pull away from, from there and said, you know, maybe there's something else I should be, be looking at here. And 
I started to look um, at other at other careers and ended up getting a, an interview and an offer from um, uh, for a corporate job in town here. And five days before my last day at Channel Two, and when I left there, I mean, I was crying as I was giving my um, my notice. And um, five days before I left there, I get a call from the weekend sports anchor at the ABC station in Milwaukee, which is where I interned. Right. That was the job that, that I wanted job. at the station. That was yeah. it. And he said, hey, I'm leaving for Omaha. I said, what? And he said, yeah. And I told the news director that there's only one person that I would recommend for that job, and he's leaving the business right now. And I said, come on, man. <laughs> And, you know, I just said, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. So then two days later, he calls me up again and says, you better talk to our news director because the vice president of news for the, the whole company was on a conference call and said, you better make sure you get John Gillespie on the phone and make him tell you no before right, you right. move on. So I called her up and, and she said, um, um, you know, I haven't even seen your tape, but I feel like we need to hear her. And I said, well, I'm on a contract until the end of the Packers season. She said, well, we can wait. I said, okay, well, my wife is on the air here as well, and I think she does a pretty good job, even though I know I'm impartial. <laughs> and um, they said, well, we can find a place for her here. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? Um, and um, I started really to, to pray about it and pray. And, and um, a few days later, it was about 9 o'clock at night, I was just still at work, and I thought something came over me, and I thought, you know what, I'll be okay. I, would, I really need to... to take this new adventure. So we came home and I talked to Sarah and I said, um, I feel okay with this. I really need to, to follow really what God is leading me to do. And um, she said, that's good. And she went into the bathroom and came back out and she gave me the pregnancy test and said, well, we're having our first child. Mm. And it was like, whoa. Right, right. Immediate affirmation that that really was part of God's plan. Yeah. Um, so two years after that, um, I ended up um, looking for, um, uh, on the International OCD Foundation website, in the Find a Therapist. I would look there every few years or so, and it usually would say, like, your nearest therapist is in Albuquerque. Um, and I just went on there one night, and I'm like, oh, what the heck? And um, I found your nearest therapist is in De Pere, 1.5 miles away from your house. So, okay. So I went there and went through some incredible therapy, um, about 80 or 100 sessions, which is a lot, um, that uncovered a lot of layers of anxiety. And my score has gone down from a 34 to a 6, which yeah, is subclinical. Yeah. And the reason that I really wanted to tell that part of the story was I, I think of... Um, my journey with God is oh, I'm, I'm on a boat fishing or boat and on the water and there's there for many years there was this fog over the water and because of the anxiety and OCD I could see God but not very well yeah and the therapy that I believe was given to me by God through yeah. this therapist um, kind of burned off that fog yeah. and I can see God so clearly. So I just thank God so much for yeah. that. So why don't you, in your groups, talk about what are you thankful for? And you just heard John share even things that you weren't praying for that he gave you. And you could even be thankful for God not answering things you asked for, right? That you knew, I mean, 
probably prayed for Milwaukee, prayed for that, but guess what? God had a better plan. And so will you just break up in your groups and talk about what you're thankful for? take a moment to pray. Would you pray for a moment together? God, we are so thankful that you're a father that, has, that loves us more than we love ourselves and knows better than we do what's good for us. And so we thank you this morning. As an act of worship, Father, we, we want to speak with you this morning, we want to talk with you, but we want to thank you. And so thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. If you could have dinner with anyone, living or dead, who would you choose? Carly Minogue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Oh, God, I wouldn't have a clue. I oh, know, straight up. Paul Hogan. Kim Kardashian. No, no, no. I'd like to have dinner with Justin Bieber. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's not coming to my house. So, um... <laughs> I'd have Bob Hawke. Dave Hughes. Barry Humphreys. Jimi Hendrix. People who have made a difference in the world, maybe Nelson Mandela at the dinner table. <laughs> If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, oh. who would you choose? Probably our whole family, like a whole extended family. Mum and Dad. Oh. Mum and Dad. 
Does it have to be a celebrity? Could it be family? We love it. We talk about how school is. We ask mum and dad how their day was. Family. Yeah, mum and dad. Family! Who would you like to, like to have yeah. a dinner with? They just want to be with us mm. while they're eating food, which is pretty cool. They see us above everything. I'm going to get... Yeah. Yeah. Bit, bit of a message in it for me. Yes. <laughs> All right, how many people got nailed on that one? Yeah. I know you did, Dee. You were a wreck in the front already. You could count on Dee always. I mean, it's an interesting question. I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I wasn't on film because I had a list of people I would want to have dinner with. But there's something so beautiful about your kids saying, oh, just mom and dad. Jesus talks about this when the disciples say, hey, should we get rid of the kids? Should we dismiss them to their class? And Jesus says, no. He says, unless you become like one of these, you can't, you can't be my disciple. What's he saying? He's saying, unless in you there's this hunger and desire to just have dinner with your dad, dinner with your family. There's something about that that starts to, I think, call us into more of some insight about what it means to be worshipers of God. We're in this series talking about from fan to follower, and we know that there's plenty of fans about God and religion and Jesus, but we're called to be followers, not fans. And fans don't want to really talk about this idea of worship because it's too deep. And if you've noticed, we haven't played a song yet. And so many times I think we've distorted what it means to worship God. And we've lessened it to simply a song. Remember a couple of weeks ago we had Emma, Emma Shear, and she, she sang with Bobby on, uh, up on stage, and it was a J Jimmy Needham song called Clear the Stage. Remember a couple of the lines? I just want you to, to hear this. Anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking about is an idol. Anything that I give all my love to is an idol. I, I think it's something that we need here in our church, and I know I've needed it, and we've read in Rick Warren's book a, a whole section around worship and what is it, and we just felt like, you know, let's, let's take the music out. What would happen if we took the music out? What else is there to worship God with? And you just saw this morning as you talked and fellowshiped that there's so much more to it. Again, this series is calling us to, to choose. What is it that you're going to choose in your life? You're going to either be a fan of God and take parts of Him, take parts of your Bible, or you're going to take the whole of, of the message of what this, this truth says, and that is you're called to be followers. Nowhere do you get off the hook being a fan. And, and so this, this morning, our question is, who is it that in your heart of hearts are you having dinner with? Are you calling to dinner with? Is it God himself? Because I think we do a lot of religious activity, but can't we find ourselves maybe worshiping the wrong thing? It reminds me of the story of the, the, the pastor that was playing bagpipes on the side as extra income, and 
he would often play funerals. And he had a funeral scheduled and he was rushing to get there, but his iPhone gave him the wrong directions. How many of you that happened to you already? That iPhone's gotten you, yeah, it's gotten me lost too. So he, he's, he can't find it and he's 10 minutes late, 20 minutes late, he's an hour late. He feels terrible, but he's gonna be committed. He finds it. He looks across the cemetery and there, two men throwing dirt into a grave. He rushes out and just says, I'm not going to say anything. He's going to rush out and do it. I feel like I owe it to this family. Rushes out and he gets his bagpipes out and doesn't even say anything. Just starts playing Amazing Grace. Two men stop shoveling and one just starts weeping. Just feeling overwhelmed about the moment of what's going on. And this pastor finishes and just walks back to his car. And the two men with the shovels are, one's trying to just kind of get himself back into composure. Looks at the other guy and says, that was the most beautiful septic tank service I have ever, ever been a part of. I wonder how many times we spend a lot of times worshiping, or at least we think is, giving credit and glory to things that really aren't what God's asking of us. I want to expand your picture of worship this morning, and I want you to to know what does it mean to be a follower and worship God. And we're going we're gonna to look at worship in Mark chapter 12, but the word worship comes from uh, two words, worth-ship, means what's worth to you, what is it worth to you. Uh, worship is the reverential response of creation to an all-encompassing magnificence of God. I mean, wouldn't it be true if we just recognized this morning, if we were to stand before God this morning, we wouldn't be standing, we'd be laying down. And that reality, if you really believe who God is, shouldn't that impact not just every Sunday of your life, shouldn't it affect every fabric, every second of your life? Shouldn't it push aside your preferential feelings and beliefs and say, I'm following God? It should push aside your opinion. It should push aside everything we think that is important to us, and, and it should place him on the throne. There, there are three basic concepts that are formed in Scripture around worship. One is the bringing forward of an offering to God. From Genesis to Revelation, you cannot escape that followers of God, men and women who were worshiping God, were bringing offerings. Again, I talked to you about first fruits and giving, and again, some, I can't get it out of people's minds that, you know, it's like the church is just asking for money. No, it's not, friends. This is a part of being a follower of Jesus, is being generous, being so overwhelmed by God and what his giving is to you and what he's blessed you with that you just want to always bring offerings. And so then there's tithes and then there's sacrificial gifts. Paul will even talk about hilarious giving, hilarious offerings being made to God. And what it means is it's ridiculous ones. Bringing forward an offering of, to God is often seen as worship. It was a form of worship. Bowing down in the presence of God. There was a, a physical posture that is talked about all throughout Scripture. From bowing down to raising of the hands. In fact, Paul himself says, men, raise your hands up in songs and praise to God. He says, oh, I want you to, I want you to physically express. David himself did that throughout his kingship. There is an expression, and you often see this bowing down 
or lifting up hands. There's this lifting up or exalting a praise to God. We see it in the Psalms that are written, these, these Psalms or, or, or these, these creeds that are given. We see it in art. But there's a lifting up, much like the Trinity, where, where God the Father raises up the Son, but the Son, Jesus, raises up the Father. There's this equal amount of, of just exalting the other, lifting up. These are, these are forms of worship you'll find, this, this bowing and lifting, this, this concept all throughout your Bible. Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. I think that's what's beautiful about the dinner video. Who could you have dinner with? Who would be the names? I would be totally embarrassed by this video if that was me on there. I would have had Bono. I would have had some of the presidents. I mean, I would have, I'm sure you already had your names. And then to hear that, and I know the Father loves when his children long to be with him. It's worship. I'm going to dive into this passage in Mark chapter 12, and it really answers the question of how do followers then worship God? How are they to to express this worship, and I, we see some insight here in Mark 12. Mark 12 lands us in the middle of the Passion Week. That means Jesus is ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. A week later, he's going to be crucified and then risen, so we're that pre-week of Easter, and this is Wednesday. Tuesday, he flipped over tables and saying, don't make this a den of thieves because they were ripping off people in the exchange of money uh, against foreigners. It was horrible. But Jesus has been confronted twice because the rabbis and the Jewish leaders of the time don't want Jesus getting any more followers. And so they're trying to trap him because they're legal experts in getting religion right. You know, there's 613 laws um, in, in the Jewish culture that they would follow. You know where they got those? 613 comes from the Ten Commandments, and there are 613 Hebrew letters that come out of that. And so they decided, well, that's a good number, and so let's have 613 laws. And there's a lot more to that numerology. Why is that important? Because they were experts at trying to get it exactly right. They, they were all about making the, you better do this exactly right, otherwise you're out. And so Jesus is in this scene on Wednesday, and he's going to be uh, approached by a scribe, which is really another word for like a religious lawyer. That means there were lawyers that all they did was to understand the 613 laws and how those could be obeyed. I mean, if you had a donkey and your donkey fell into a well on the Sabbath, what do you do? Do you go save it and break the Sabbath? Or do you not save it and break another law of not helping out someone in need, an animal in need? And so they were experts to kind of negotiate all this. So Mark chapter 12 lands us right here. In verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came to Jesus and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asks him this question. It's a trapping question. Of all the commandments... Which is the most important? See, this was critical because Jewish rabbis all would argue about what were the, what's the ordering to, to be like? What's the most important? And don't we still do this today? We still 
operate in religion of what's the most important. In fact, people are coming and going from churches because they've decided what's more important. Friends, we're a biblical church. That means we take this as we can interpret it. Do we interpret it exactly right? Nope. Nobody does. It's our best attempt to understand what we understand God's asking us to do and live and be like. And so we find ourselves in trouble if we're just trying to say, have we gotten it all right? It's our first principle because this, Jesus asked, what's the most important? First principle of worship, it's not about getting it all right. If it was, we'd all be wrong. I get frustrated sometimes when people say, oh, well, you're not a biblical church because obviously you don't believe like I believe, so your interpretation's wrong. Friends, if someone differs from my opinion from Scripture, that doesn't mean they're unbiblical. I would ask somebody, where do they source that from? If it's the Bible, then it's a great discussion about how do you make that interpretation? How do you make that leap with that Scripture? This is how I believe it. I wouldn't call that unbiblical. And so we've moved away as a church to saying we're not, we don't believe God's measuring rightness and wrongness. He's measuring a heart. What's the intention of what you're trying to do and trying to seek? If it's about you being right, well, you probably miss the whole idea of what it means to worship. Worship's not about getting it all right. It says that, verse 29, it says, the most important one Jesus answered is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, our God, the Lord is one. Many of you recognize this phrase. It comes out of Deuteronomy 6, and you'll hear it in Exodus. It's called the Shema. Shema meaning hear, hear. It's something today in, in Jerusalem, and Jews will, will still use this Shema. In fact, the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6, this whole passage is rolled up in the priest's garments. It's rolled up on a scroll and put into the to this little box on their foreheads. Every doorway in, in Jerusalem, in any Jewish home, in our home, we bought one, but it's, it's rolled up on a little box on the side of the door so that on the door jams of your homes that you'd be reminded. And so Jesus is quoting this. He's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a proclamation of who he is. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no greater commandment than these. I want to I break these down. But I, I want you to see first that not only is it not, worship's not about getting it all right, it's also beginning, it begins and ends with love. Love the Lord your God, and when you do that, you love what? Other people. Friends, if you want a marker, if, if your life is not in love with God and it's not worshiping God to the point where it's transforming your life, what's the love you have for other people? Whether they're in the church or out of the church. Whether they agree with you or disagree with you. Whether they're a Democratic or a Republican. It shouldn't matter. Worship not only is not about getting it right, it also begins and ends with love. So let's unpack this love the Lord your God and the different sections there. First, love the Lord. Love uh, is a word in the Greek and Hebrew that both has three different Hebrew words and Greek words to describe it. 
our idea of love is we can love going to the movies. We can also say to our spouses, we love you. Those are two different loves. Wouldn't we agree? I would hope so, because if that's the kind of love you have for your spouse, you're in trouble. Um, it's got to be deeper than that, right? So agape is one of those loves, and it's the, the love of intelligence, the love of the will, purpose, a love of choice. It's choosing to be obedient. I choose this love no matter how I feel. Phileo is the one he didn't choose, which is the love of attraction. It's how I feel. At some point, when, when Jesus is saying this to love, it's a, it's a choice love. That means it's not about how you feel. You may not feel good about giving your time to someone who needs it in your neighborhood, but you make a choice to do it. Not out of obligation because I'm choosing to love God this way. You heard in these stories just choices to love God. Pat, in the inner part of his world, I I don't like this. It doesn't feel good, but I'm going to choose to love God to do this. Friends, that's, that's... what, what loving the God is, is not about feeling. We've said it before in here, these services can become dangerous because if this service is to be a way to manufacture a good feeling for your week, you've missed what it means to be a follower of God. Often I have found following God does not feel really good. Anybody with me there? Following God is difficult. Why? Because we're sinful. We're prideful. We, we want things our way. We like comfort. We like the things. We like our opinion. We like our belief system. And when that gets rattled, and when we're called by the Spirit to move and be obedient, that is hard. Often doesn't feel good. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let's go to the first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is a Jewish perspective. It was the center and the seat of, of the physical and spiritual life. It's the core of your identity. Um, it's the source of all your thoughts, your words and actions. In other words, it meant this. It meant when I, if I were to, to, to begin to, to say hurtful words out of my mouth, in a Jewish perspective, they'd say that came from his heart. The proverb says, guard your heart with all diligence because from it flows the springs of life. There was, there was a belief that your actions and your words were a, a gauge to your heart. They're very connected. What's the first principle about followers who worship God? Worship is all of your thoughts, all of your words, and all of your actions. Do you realize you don't need a song this week to worship God? You will worship God in how you, what you say, how you act, what you think about. There's a book written by Hybels called Who You Are When No One's Looking. It's one of those profound statements that I think causes you to think really deeply about when you're alone and no accountability is present. What are your first thoughts about God? What do you, what do you think about? What captivates you? Love the Lord your God, not only with all your heart, but with all your soul. What does soul mean? The breath, the breath of life. It's the vital force that animates the body, shows itself in breathing. It's, it's your life force. They'd say if you died, you lost your soul. It was the seed of the feelings, though, and the desires and the affections. Worship is all of your desires and affections. What do you love? What captivates you more? 
than anything else. Friends, we can, we can make ourselves idols of anything. We can make it of our family. We can make it of the comforts that we have, of our hobbies, of security. We, we could go down the list, right? This is, this is expanding, hopefully, your idea of worship, that you don't need a song. You've got words. You've got actions. You've got thoughts. You also have desires and affections that you have a chance to celebrate the God of the universe this week, every second of your week. Love the Lord your God, not only with all your heart and all your soul, but all your mind. It's thinking through, meditating, reflecting. It's, it's our understanding. It's, it's the will, our best intention. And, and listen, we had last week Jim Wallace here, and he's, any of you feel a little bit overwhelmed? You hear all the knowledge he has and think, wow, I don't know that much. Thank God it's not about getting it all right. But God does ask us to put in play our minds and begin to think and study and, and to understand. And we have a chance to think about the things of God. Paul says to train your mind. If you find yourself where your mind wanders, begin to go through some, some exercises or, or traditions that might remind you back. We used to have guys in youth ministry that used to set their Ironmans to uh, one minute past the hour of every hour to beep, and they would all pray. Why? Not so they got score, you know, a good score in heaven, to be reminded and to retrain that mind. Why do we pray at dinner? I don't think God is, is giving us credit because every meal gets blessed, you know, and it's, whether it's cooked good or bad, it gets blessed and fixed, right? It's a way to remind us to engage your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Worship is of your best intention purpose. Your best intention purpose. There's high school students I remember years ago that would be saying, God, I feel like God's leading me not to do a varsity sport this year. And they might have been a great athlete and saying, I feel like God's calling me to serve in this area differently. And friends, that's why I don't ever get in the way when someone says, God's asking me to do this or I feel led to do this. Listen, God is honoring the heart that you have in that. And if he asks you to do something, do it. 100% you're supposed to do it. Often I think people are saying, God told me to do something and it's for us, someone else to do, right? God told me you should fix this, right? We often get that word for our spouse, right? The word from heaven. But no, this, this is for us. And when we have that intention, purpose, what God asks us, it's a form of worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and all your strength. What is this? This is your physical strength, your ability, your body. Whether you're working out, whether, whatever energies you're putting into it. Trish and I had friends that came and worship is all your physical strength. It, I mean, I was depleted and beat up and sore. Both Trish and I are, but we had friends that came over and helped. They, they put their, their bodies, their, their physical selves into a part of worshiping God. And friends, we have this ability, the life you've been given, to, to put it into action to worship God. Do you see how we don't really need more songs? We, we've reduced worship to simply the right notes, the right song, and our preference of what it should sound like. And friends, that is 
a small, ignorant picture of what worship really is. So this man answers, the second is this, uh, or Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is beautiful. As I said, it begins and ends with love. Worship is loving all people, no matter who they are. Whether they disagree, whether they agree, no matter where they're from, is love. Now, love doesn't mean we, uh, uh, that everybody's right, everybody's belief is not right, that all truth isn't truth, or all, all people's opinion isn't truth. But, but what we do is we learn how to love people in the midst of all that mess. Isn't that the church? I'd be hard-pressed to find two of us in this room that agree on everything. God taught us to love. Part of your worship is how you're loving, friends, the unlovable. Who's unlovable in your life? Who's the person that just God put in your life that's a pain? That's a dirt bag, right? Well said, teacher, this man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love with him with all your heart and your understanding and all your strength and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all the offerings and burnt sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered this wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And then from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus is about to die, about to do the greatest act of all eternity. Worship then is the believer's response of all that they are. Mind, emotions, will, body to what God is and says and does. What are you doing this morning? Who are you asking to dinner? Think about it this way. As we're led in response, we're going to do two songs. But, but friends, my, my challenge to you this morning is, is who are you worshiping? Hopefully it's not the song, but there's this beautiful expression of lyrics written from the heart of someone. And guess what? The instruments are not the ones on stage. You are. You're the instrument of worship. God is listening to the tune of your thoughts, your deeds, your actions, your intentions, everything. You're the instruments. Friends, this morning as we go to the communion table, may I remind you, you cannot take communion as a fan. You can't be a fan of Jesus and go take communion and think that fixes part of you or get a little bit of the, little bit of the religion stuff. It has to be that you're a committed follower that is being called to worship him with every second of every day of your entire life. That means not just with our voices and our pocketbooks and our time and our bodies, but everything. Friends, we have a chance to worship him. You have a chance to worship him. May we honor him this morning with all that. Father in heaven, as we go to communion, may we be reminded of, of the great gift you gave us, the great act of love to us. May we worship you in more than just the songs we're going to hear, but God with every part of who we are this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.